Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of Meaningful Conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. And how are you this morning? I'm good. I slept great. Um, I've got a workout plan for this evening, and I just I feel pretty good. I feel good most days. Wonderful. So thank you, Jeff, for agreeing to be interviewed on the podcast. It's exciting to kick off season four and talk with someone in Canada who has been treated in Canada. Is that right? Yep. I was treated in Calgary. Okay. And so is that covered as part of your... Yep, I didn't. The only thing that I had to pay for was a. I did an egg harvest before the treatment, just because I am so young, and I don't have kids right now. I might want kids in the future, so uh, I had to pay for the egg harvest. But even that, I got um, a grant for. So I actually only had to pay about five thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Um, And and that's Canadian dollars. So, uh, but uh, yeah, everything else was covered. Wow. It's amazing from my perspective in America, right, that after having really struggled to come up with $125,000 to pay out of pocket, I'm a little envious (laughs) that you had it covered entirely, but it speaks volumes to me about the potential for future healthcare and knowing that if this treatment is covered and you're reducing this huge layer of stress for the patient, right? It does. And it makes sense. Like as someone who I've talked to a lot of doctors, to them, it makes sense. If you're looking at what my MS medications cost per year at 50 or $60,000, and then you do a treatment that costs $100,000, but it's kind of a one and done and you don't have to pay medication costs afterwards, it actually does reduce the strain on the healthcare system. Right. So they're like, yeah, let's, um, in Canada, they have more of a, we should do it earlier kind of thing, thought mindset, and then you reduce the strain on the healthcare system and the, on the individual themselves. So wise. So, so wise. I was actually reading an article yesterday, I think published by the Consortium of Multiple Sclerosis Centers, and their research was looking into the time to stem cell transplant, if you will. Um, yep. That the sooner the better. Um, the younger you can catch people, the sooner in their diagnosis you can catch people to absolutely halt progression. Um, not only is there return on investment, but potential for, and capacity for increased healing and reduction of those permanent, well, the permanent damage that can exist. Well, I'm very lucky. I've always had some very progressive neurologists, mm. and I've always made sure that I'm really well-informed, and so they might not like it, but I push back on what I want. We have found a really good balance, and my neurologist that I have here in Calgary, it was just by chance. I moved to Calgary two years ago, and it was a pure fluke that I got him. You get assigned a random neurologist, and he was really young and progressive, and he's actually the one who said he wanted me to do stem cell. Wonderful. So he encouraged you. 
yeah, my initial thought words were not so nice for him when he suggested it because <laughs> I didn't so, want to do it. So there was some words that I probably can't say on the podcast. And no worries. Thank you even for sharing that experience. So were, have you been on disease-modifying drugs leading up yeah, to Yeah, I have failed off of four, including two of the big three that we I, we call them the big three in Canada. I don't know if you call them the big three in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I have I had failed off two of them. And so he just said, I'd like you to do stem cell. And I was like, I'm not going bald. I'm 26 years old. I'm not going bald. And I, I, I might want to have kids, and I don't know. And I basically told him to pound sand and <laughs> refuse. And then I talked to my parents over the Christmas holidays, and they said, no, we think you should talk to him. And so my parents actually flew out to Calgary because they don't live in Calgary mm-hmm. and went to the appointment with me and we set up the dates and we ended up walking away from that appointment with me having a schedule to go do stem cell therapy. It sounds like you like to research and your parents like to research. So what was it that they found that maybe helped convince you or what was it that you found in your study and research that helped? Um, so when I... Like, was in university, uh, I was looking to start a drug called Lemtrada, mm. and one of the neurologists that I talked to, he wasn't my neurologist, his, he was a really brilliant man, he was actually studying Lemtrada, he said, and his name was Dr. Kremenchewski, and when I was trying to figure out if Lemtrada was kind of the right path for me, because none of my doctor's patients had ever been on it, it was fairly new, uh, My Dr. Kremenchewski said to me, he goes, there's kind of two camps of people. He's like, you're going to get people who want the tried and true, the bit of a safer medication. Um, You know about the side effects, you know about the risks. And then he's like, and then you'll have the camps of people who are kind of balls to the wall. Let's try it. Bigger risk, bigger reward. And he said to me, he goes, just based off talking to you and what you love to do, I think you kind of fall into the bigger risk, bigger reward category. And so after talking it over with my parents and thinking about the time that I sat down with Dr. Kremenchewski and originally decided to do Lemtrada, uh, I was like, you know what, bigger risk, bigger reward, and I don't want to 20 years from now regret not doing it and being like, well, I could be doing some of the things that I still love to do if I had done it. Sure. Because everything that I love to do is pretty, like, I like my boxing, I do high-intensity workouts, I want to go hiking and camping, and it's all pretty physical activities, and so the thought of not being able to do that again, or do that at some point, is kind of what tips the boundaries for me. Sure. Well, it's powerful that you even had the support of your doctors, right, helping you recognize that the sooner the treatment, the better chances for recovery of any damage, yeah. but also to just really absolutely halt disease. Uh, that's just tremendous. Even like the fertility part, they said that 16 is kind of optimal for doing a treatment like this with the chance of getting your fertility back, 14, 15, 16. And they said basically once you get past, I think they said 30 when I was going through all of like the fertility treatments and everything, they kept using the term geriatric for like post 30. And I was like, what? I've never felt old. I'm 20, I was 26, 27, like I'm turning 28 in a couple months. So I was 27 when I was doing all this and I did not think of myself as the and they were going, no, you have the best chances for egg harvest success because you're not geriatric. And I was like, well, no, I'm not geriatric. And they're like, no, like anything over, it's like 30 or 35, um, they consider to be geriatric for harvesting eggs. 
And so they said the fact that you're doing it at 26, 27, the only, you would have gotten better eggs if you harvested at 16, 17, but nobody does that and nobody's prepared for that. No. So, as it is, they managed to harvest 24 eggs in one go for me. And I learned that after 30, you're considered geriatric in the fertility world. That is absolutely amazing. Heads up to anyone who's close to 30. Yeah. Very fascinating. Well, and so because it's been offered in Canada for so long, um, what is his name, Dr. Atkins? Who was it that performed your HSCT? So uh, I actually did it in Calgary. So Dr. Atkins and Dr. Friedman are in Ottawa. There's two locations right now in Canada who are doing the treatment. So you go to Ottawa um, or you go to Calgary. And in Calgary, uh, basically our process is you have to have two neurologists sign off on it. So you're a neurologist. And then Dr. Burton is the neurologist who's leading the stem cell charge here. And so Dr. Burton is a lovely woman. And she saw me. And she gave me two suggestions. She said I could do Ocrevus or the stem cell. And I said, I've already failed off of two of the big three. I feel we could prolong this, and I could do Ocrevus for a year or two, but I'm still probably going to end up doing stem cell at some point, so let's just do the stem cell. And so then she refers us to these very, very, like some of the smartest people I've ever met, Dr. Mm -hmm. Storick and Dr. Germani are the two hematologists who run the stem cell part. And so I actually have an appointment with my six-month follow-up with Dr. Jamani on Friday this week. So tomorrow. Oh, wow. Um, I turn six months tomorrow. Wow. And Happy birthday. Thank you. I have a new birthday. My new birthday is July 17th. So tomorrow's my half birthday. Uh, but, I, yeah, I see. So it's Dr. Jamani and Dr. Storick. And I think the nurse told me I was, like, patient five or six who had done it in Calgary. Okay. Which, I mean, this is all so helpful for anyone listening in Canada to know the resources yeah. available, right? Oh, for sure. And the nurse was amazing. Of course. It seems as though anyone working in the field, no matter the clinic, are just beyond professional. Like, highest level of care and kindness and empathy and awareness and support from these nurses and doctors. Oh, yeah. The people that I had, even the doctors, because when you're in hospitals, so Dr. Jamani and Dr. Storick do all the stuff up to the point where you get admitted. So I was admitted July 7th. Um, and I can't remember the doctor's name to save my life because I was during all of, like the 11 rounds of chemo I had to do. Um, there was a doctor, even the doctors who were in the hospital, because you don't see Dr. Stork and Jamani, you see them pre and post, but your time in the hospital, there's a different doctor on rounds every day who comes in and checks on you. And even those doctors were so amazing and helpful and just positive about everything. I mean, I know Dr. Jamani and Dr. Stork have said, like, I have bounced back faster than anyone that they've seen. Um, so they kind of treat me as this, they get excited when I found out the one day that every time I came in for my post, I was, okay, today you're seeing Dr. Stork, now you're seeing Dr. Jamani. And I said, do I not just have one doctor? And they go, no, when you come in, they argue over who gets to see you today. <laughs> Cause I went boxing exciting. three weeks post transplant. Wow. That's huge literally to the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your platelets aren't necessarily up to par yet, right? Oh, they were not. My platelets went down to four. Wow. So it took, I think, six weeks post-transplant for me to even be allowed to floss my teeth. Sure. But you were boxing. Yeah, but I was boxing. Hopefully not being impacted too heavily. No, I did heavy bag boxing, so no one was punching me. I was punching a bag, but I was still able to get up and do a 50-minute class of boxing. 
Amazing. Amazing. Especially considering your protocol now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was my will ablative and the beam protocol, right? I believe so. I did so talk, what I know. You talked about 11 rounds of chemo. Tell me more about, like, just from beginning to end, what your experience was like. So it all started back in April. I started doing the fertility hormones. Mm-hmm. And the fertility hormones actually put me into a relapse. My entire body went pins and needles, numb, tingly. Ugh. It was terrible. Um, and so I was taking all of the fertility hormones, which already make you super bloated and puffy and like retaining water. And then they added steroids in to combat <laughs> the re- relapse. So I was moon faced and super puffy, and I have pictures of all of that. And then. Um, a month later, I had to have the port in my chest put in, so they put in the CV line. And what we didn't know at the time when they put the CV line is, is I'm actually allergic to chlorhexidine, which is what they clean you with prior to any surgeries. Yes. So I was having a reaction around the site, um, but we just thought it's, I'm also allergic to Band-Aids. So we just kept trying like different Band-Aids and methods of keeping it secure um, and nothing was getting better. And so they did on June 4th, my parents again flew out to Calgary and we did my first round of chemo or they put the port in June 4th. They did my first round of chemo June 5th. Um, I did go shopping after my first round of chemo with my parents uh, because I was like, I don't want to go home yet. I want to go shopping. I deserve it. And so we did the shopping and then the next day my dad and I actually went for a run Wow. Like a half hour run in just so we like taped down the port so that I could go running with someone for the first time and not by myself to make sure everything was okay. Um, and then in, in Calgary, we have this really um, nice place and it's called Compassionate Beauty. And it's this um, place where it's actually designed for women who are going through chemotherapy and are going to lose their hair. And so you can get a wig from there. Um, they have a private room where they kind of, they bring you in. They fit you for a wig before you lose your hair and then so they can match your hair color and the look and everything. Mm. And then you come in and when you want and you can shave your head, but you leave with your wig and you leave with your hair. And wow. so uh, my family, I decided that even though my hair wasn't going to start falling out for another two to three weeks, that I wanted to do it while my parents were in town. I wanted my mom there with me yeah. when I had to shave my head. Um, and so we shaved my head. And I will admit that they bought me a very lovely, very expensive wig. And I think I wore it maybe 10 times. I was like, I'm just going to wear a ball cap. I don't need the wig. Um, And so then they flew back home to Ontario. And they came back in July. And so in July, I got admitted to the hospital on the first Monday of July. I think it was the 5th or the 6th. And then we do basically 11 rounds of chemo in eight days. So it's cyclophosphamide, bisulfamide, and I think it's called ATG. Um, ATG? Yeah, it's the bunny. It's the bunny chemo is what I call it because it's right. derived from yeah, yeah. bunny hormones. So you have at least two rounds of chemo basically a day. Mm-hmm. Um, of depending on the chemo. So you had to do like four rounds of bisulfamide, four rounds of cyclophosphamide, and three rounds of the ATG. And I did forget, so prior to this, in June, I, you do have to do the um, bone, like the shots in your belly to harvest, the, to stimulate the stem cells so they can harvest yeah. it. So before I went in, I, yeah, those were not, I didn't find, like I felt really lucky. I did not get any bone pain. So I was doing the shots and still going for 6K runs. 
Um, but the, I'm just going to suggest that it's probably because you were so active. I know when I was doing Neupogen shots, the advice was, you know, get up and take a walk. If you can get on the bike, do some kind of movement, move your body to keep all the fluids moving and it can reduce that bone pain. And I think you're a testament. Your level of activity is a testament to that. I got no bone pain. And when they did my plasmapheresis, I was hooked up to that machine for eight hours with them harvesting the stem cells. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman across the room with me who was doing a stem cell harvest because he had cancer. And he said he was a tough guy. He said he worked a manual labor job. He had lots of tattoos. And he said he had spent the last three days fetal position in pain because wow. he was so reactive to these shots. And he goes, how was it for you? And I'm like, oh, I went for a 6K run yesterday. I felt <laughs> terrible that he had spent this whole weekend in pain. But they harvested, I think it was 800 million stem cells from me. Oh, my goodness. That's tremendous. Yeah, in one go. So they're like, you don't have to come back tomorrow and you don't have to take those shots anymore which was fantastic because I don't like the needles and then we I went in on July 4th we did the 11 rounds in eight days Um, and you're constantly my biggest complaint was one I was nauseous all the time so I um, they originally in Canada they say like because I only live five minutes from the hospital they would release me if my numbers were okay and let me go home but I wasn't able to keep oral medications down because I was so nauseous. So mm-hmm. once you miss one dose of the anti-nauseas, you're kind of up a creek and you can't get it back without doing yeah. the IVs. Um, and so at this point, they had already had to take the line out of my chest. And when I went back into the hospital to start the chemo, they put a pick line in my one bicep. Um And then I had a reaction because of the chlorhexidines. Then we figured out, oh, you're allergic to chlorhexidine. So they had to take that out and they put in a second pick line with iodine. So I was reaction free for that one. But it was 11 rounds of chemo and having to be on constant fluids as well. My boyfriend affectionately called me Puffy Jess for the duration of my chemo because oh they'd be God. like, oh, you put on three kilograms of water today. like, And then they give you a drug that makes you pee it all out. So then you're getting up yeah. and down, up and down, up and down to go pee. Um, yeah. So but I would still walk around. Nope. Uh, I didn't know about people getting catheters mm-hmm. until I actually had the privilege in December of meeting Dr. Friedman. Um, at a conference for MS, he was there, and so I went up to him and I thanked him because they've obviously he's been one of the people pioneering it here. Yeah. And I mentioned, I said, yeah, just uh, having to pee all the time was one of the most terrible side effects. And he goes, they didn't give you a catheter. <laughs> I, like, I didn't know that was an option, uh, but my parents were like, would you really have accepted the catheter? And I, no, because I was walking around. Like every day, um, I would ask them before we started the chemo, can you unhook me for like 30 minutes and I'm going to go do like a walk around the hospital because I was Mm -hmm. going to start crazy. Um, And you're not even allowed to visit other people in their rooms. Like everyone's, you're allowed in your room and your room only because I might give you something. Yeah. So the only people at the time I was seeing was my boyfriend, my parents, and my friends would ask if they could come and visit me on certain days. And I'd be like, depending on the day, yes or no. But, but they keep you yeah, on steroids, too, most of the time, and clearly you're able to be up and moving around. There wasn't one day that I didn't go for a walk. I normally tried to get in about an hour of walking a day, even if it was, like, four 15-minute walks. Um, my parents would take turns pushing the IV pole, and we'd go, because it was in the middle of summer, too, so the, the weather was beautiful. We'd go outside and do a lap around the hospital. I'm a very stubborn person. Well... <laughs> 
But I think that helps, that persistence helps you get through everything with that positive mindset, determination. It does. And the doctors did say the reason they think I bounced back so quickly is because of how fit I was going in and then how I went immediately. I'm still recovering. I'm up to about seven workouts a week right now. Um, and those are a variety of running, high intensity, and I've added in a yoga class just because the doctors asked me to please do something that wasn't so high intensity. Um, so I was like, cool, I'll add yoga in. I work at a gym and our mindset is yoga is like, it's not a workout, it's more stretching and it's relaxing. So in my mindset, it's this is this is not high intensity interval training on the treadmill or hit classes or boxing. Right. So the doctors will be happy I'm doing yoga. Um, but they said that, and uh, because I do have degrees in nutrition, like that's kind of what I do with people. I help them with their meal plans. So I had a very specific going in. I was as healthy as you could be before the treatment. Yeah. Well, I think that's so important because it minimizes complications when you're in the hospital, right? Like eating the right foods and garnering the nutrients that you're all of a sudden lacking due to the chemo and steroids and everything else that your body is enduring, having like bananas and avocados in your diet to help replenish the potassium and magnesium, like food can oh, yeah. be your fuel. Food is, I believe, a, just a natural form of medicine. You kind of yeah. are what you eat. And yeah. so my dad is actually an Ironman. He's 53 and he's still doing Ironman and he's Wonderful. one of the fittest people that I know. And so my parents, my mom and my dad have always been a, if you are active, um, it reduces the length of stay for anybody in the hospital, regardless of what you're doing. So when I was 18, they sat me down and they said, we don't care what you do. You just have to do something Find something that you love to do and that, and just do that because it doesn't have to be running. My whole family runs. It doesn't have to be uh, like a sport like soccer. They're like, you just need to find something that you love and do that. So is that conversation happening maybe after diagnosis? Let's rewind a little bit and tell us more about when you were diagnosed and what your experience and even symptoms were like. Uh, so I was diagnosed one month after my 15th birthday. Mm. And so I woke up the one morning and my left eye had stopped moving. It had frozen in place. Mm. And I think I managed to hide it from my mom by being a moody teacher, teenager and like hiding in my bedroom all day. And then I went to dinner with my mom, um, my grandparents and my sister. Cause my dad was away for the weekend. I can't remember where my dad was, but he was away. And so we went to dinner and I was kind of looking at my mom. I was looking at everybody with my bright eyes. So I was just holding my head really weird. Um, and my mom, I think it lasted for about a half hour, and then she told me to look her in the eyes because something was wrong. And I looked her in the eye, and then she was like, cool, we're going to the hospital. Um, and she asked my nan, she's like, nan, can you and uh, I call my grandfather my stupid, um, take Rachel home, who's my sister. I'm going to take Jess to the hospital. And so we ended up going to emergency, and the doctor there had told us it was just a lazy eye. He had said, oh, her eyes probably fatigued. She, I had, um, just by coincidence, my uh, cousin's boyfriend at the time had given me uh, my first video game ever, and it was like Donkey Kong or something that I had played on the computer for a couple hours the night before. So he's like, oh, she's not used to that, being on the computer for that long, so it's probably just a lazy eye. If it doesn't go away by Monday, take her to your eye doctor. 
so obviously it didn't go away. Um, so I went to an eye doctor in my home uh, in the town next to my hometown because my eye doctor my regular eye doctor was booked and I still remember that appointment because he was an older gentleman and he was kind of shaking as he examined me and he kept going oh no oh oh no no and my mom's like stop saying that what's wrong right and he said brain tumor <gasps> whoa he said brain tumor or diabetes what and yep and then he took my mom out into the waiting room crying and gave her the phone, because this is before people had cell phones, gave her the phone book and said, look up your doctor's number. I need to t- call him. Oh. And so she called our family doctor. And the family doctor actually got on the phone with my mom going, Steph, it is medically impossible to diagnose a brain tumor just looking at someone's face. It's not. Right. We don't know it's a brain tumor. Bring Jess in first thing in the morning. We're going to arrange for her to go get an MRI. Like, don't it's, it's don't go to the worst possible. And unfortunately, someone in our t- like our area had a, a child had recently died of a brain tumor. Oh. And so that's all my mom said she could think of. And so I remember coming sure. home and my grandparents hugging me and my dad hugging me and my sister hugging me and everyone really sad. Um, and I did go to the doctors and then I went to and I got an MRI in Kingston. And they came back and they're like, you don't have a brain tumor. And we're like, yes, no brain tumor. Right. Um, they said, but there are some spots, so we're going to send you to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto because there's no pediatric center in Kingston for neurology. Mm-hmm. There might be now. There wasn't at the time. And so I got sent to Sick Kids Hospital, and I met Dr. Banwell, who is pretty much one of the most amazing doctors I've ever met. Mm. And she said, based on your MRIs, I had another MRI, based on your MRIs and everything, we are 85% sure that you have MS, uh, but we have to see either progression or another relapse to classify it as multiple. Right now it's just CIS. Um, So they had me come back three months later, and unfortunately the MRI had progressed, so they diagnosed me with MS. And that's when I was 15. And so... I've been living with MS now for 13 years. 13 years. Wow. 13 years. By the time I hit 30, I will have lived with MS longer. I will have had life longer with MS than without. Yeah. Although now you've stopped it, so that's a good thing. Although now I've stopped it. Yeah. I have a tattoo that has the year of my diagnosis, and my goal is to end date it so I could say, like, this is the year it stopped. That would be awesome. So, fingers crossed. That will be awesome when it happens. So, wow, 15 years old and all of a sudden this diagnosis. And so what medication did they start you on? Uh, so my neurologist gave us a choice of four, Avonix, Rebus, Copaxin, and Betasteron. And I took them all home. And my parents said that they, they went through the readings with me, but they said it's your choice. So you get to pick which one you want to go on. It's your body, your choice. And so right so from the beginning... Oh, right from the beginning, my parents are like, you're 15 years old. And I have been physically, I have looked the same since I was about 12, 13. That's when I kind of matured. So they said physically, mentally, like you are capable of making this decision on your own. And so I chose beta seron because it had fewer injections. It was every other day instead of every day. Um, I can't remember exactly why I chose it. I just remember beta seron is the one for me. So I was on beta seron until I was 18. Um, they won't put you on any of the other meds. So they, at the time, they were lo- working on Jelenia and Tysabri and all these other kind of improvement medications, but none of them are tested on PEDS patients. 
So uh, you can't go on anything else until you're 18. Um, and my body didn't reject the medication. It rejected injections. So I got um, really bad nerve damage and scar tissue in my legs from having to give myself needles all the time. And so they said, well, you don't have to take them anymore. You can decide. And so I went on Tysabri for three years. And Tysabri was probably the medication that held everything the best. But I'm antibody to the JCV or JVC antibody yeah. positive. So I was not comfortable staying on that one. So I did no. that from the time I was 18 to 21. And then at 21, I switched to Jelenia. And Jelenia, for the first time, was when I was having active relapses. It was when I was in university. I ended up having to have a cane for about four or five months for balance and weakness in my legs. And so it wasn't holding it stable. And then I did that until I was around 23, 20. 324, I switched to Lemtrada, which is the second one of the big three that I was on. And so I did Lemtrada at 24 and 20, yeah, it would have been 24 and 25, I believe. And then that was not the most fun. Uh, I actually, you know, there's always in those commercials, because I know you guys have all those commercials where they list the side effects of drugs. Um, yeah. And there's like one person got this rare infection. That was me. Uh, no, I got, I got Legionnaire's disease and necrotizing pneumonia. So I did my first round of the Lemtrada and three days later I ended up in the hospital uh, with about 10% use of my lungs. Because I had just had like this free exposure to Legionnaires' disease, and I've actually talked to people who work at the company that developed Lemtrada, and I'm like, oh yeah, I was on your drug. I got Legionnaires' disease, Legionella. And they're like, that was you. I was like, that was me. So they talk about I'm the one case that this has happened to. So now on their drug, they have to put like this percentage of people got this, this person got this. Because so I ended up in the hospital with 10% use of my lungs. I was in the hospital at the time. That was my longest hospital admission, 11 days in a row. And I ran my first half marathon three months to the day from being released. So your lungs recovered? Uh, for the most part. Oh, my goodness. The problem now, I only feel it when it's like minus 45 out. Yeah, I bet that pressure, the, the change in the barometric pressure can really impact. Yeah, the, just the cold. Yeah. Oh, the cold burns your lungs. So then I did the Lemtrada, and when I came to Calgary, uh, my MRIs were still active, and that's not exactly the goal. Post-Lemtrada, they don't want to see any activity. So my super progressive neurologist here, Dr. Liu, he goes, I'd like you to do stem cell. And then the rest is history. Yeah, no joke. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. it was very fast. Like, he called me in December and said, I'd like you to do stem cell. I had the meeting with Dr. Burton, I think the first week of February. We had the stem cell harvest done by April and all of the chemo done. Like, in, I was in the hospital doing all of the stem cell by July 4th. And it could have been faster, but we decided to do it in July because my dad's a teacher, so he has the July and August off. Yeah. So my parents actually, yeah, my parents actually live in Ontario. And so they flew the 30, well, they actually drove out here. So they drove the 3,800 kilometers and stayed with me for the summer while I was doing this treatment in my lovely one bedroom, one den apartment. So it was very cozy. And so that's why we did in July. They had said I could have done it earlier if I wanted, but... I, I didn't want to do it without my parents, and I didn't want to have to cause a lot of strain with them having to figure out work and taking time off. 
and scheduling and everything. Sure. Yeah. And so, and and they can store your stem cells for however long. And so, yeah. Having harvested them at what sounds like the optimal time, because you harvested 800 plus million. That's amazing. Yeah, I did 800 million stem cells. And so during July, you were actually in the hospital for the duration of those chemo treatments. It's just uh, I was in the hospital really... for three of the four weeks in July. Okay. So I spent about 24 days in the hospital. Again, I live really, really close to the hospital. So as soon as they were, I was like, can I go home? Can I go home? Can I go home? Can I go home? I, I want to go home. I don't want to be here. And so there was one night when I had to go back into the hospital and that is the night it's on my Instagram. There's actually a picture of me literally like fetal position crying in the hospital bed. Cause I just oh. don't want to go back there. Um, but for the most part, as long as I was able, they sent me home just cause like, people even recover. I always had a bed reserved for me there. So my room was still there if I had to come back. And so I just still remember the day when the one doctor, he told me, he's like, no, we're going to just release you fully to outpatient. Like you don't have to come back. Wow. You can go to outpatient. And I was like happy dance and it was amazing. And they even said my numbers bounced back really quick. Like I only had to do two or three of the GCSF shots post stem cell transplant before my white count got high enough that they were like, we don't need to give you these stimulants anymore. That's amazing. And so I, I recovered very quickly. I'm very lucky. I went back to work six weeks post-transplant. Wonderful. Well, even here, so, at least Dr. Burt always recommended people try and get back into their routine as quickly as they feel comfortable because it helped your body and your immune system yeah. regenerate. And it does. And I'm lucky. I work for the MS Society of Canada, so they understand this more than pretty much any employer that you could ever have. And so we did a, a gradual return to work. Even now, I still work from home three days a week. And if there's something in the office, like last week, the flu was going around Calgary. And so I just said to my boss, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to work from home. It's safer because I don't want to get anything. I haven't been vaccinated for anything yet. Well, so tell me more about MS Society of Canada. Clearly, they must be proponents of HSCT. Yeah, so they were very supportive. Um, the CEO, her name is Pam, Pam Van Valentine, and she was so excited when she heard that I was doing the stem cells. She was super supportive of it. And so they are, um, we have had a lot of talks at, like, we do MS Connect conferences and different, and we always have someone with stem cells always talking about something that, because we're very proud. They helped fund some of the first uh, studies on it. Um, and so they're, we're really proud of the stem cell work that people are getting done in Canada. Our, like, I would just love to see it go to more cities because right now you either have to live in Ottawa or Calgary and you do have to commit to living in that city for, I think, a year post-transplant. Okay. Uh, just because like for follow-ups and for the longest time, uh, I did. I was able to fly home for Christmas this year. Uh, we didn't know if I was going to be allowed just because they don't want you going like 4,000 kilometers away from the site that you got it done sure. to a hospital where maybe they don't know or they don't do stem cell transplant or they don't have all of the tools that they have here in Calgary. So for the longest time, they'd be like, the, long, the furthest you can go 
is like Okotoks, which is a half hour outside of Calgary. And then the furthest you can go is Banff, which is an hour outside of Calgary. Um, and for the longest time, they only get what let me go as like as far as they're able to fly you back to Calgary um, with a medical helicopter. Mm. And so they said that way, if anything went wrong, you're not going to the hospital in Banff. You're not going to the hospital in Edmonton. You have to come back to the Foothills Hospital sure. because we deal with it. So it'd be nice eventually to see it across the country more so people don't necessarily have to. But the this MS Society has been amazing. I run the peer support program, which I'm really proud of. And mm. it's just, it's it's a good place. It's a good place. And they're doing a lot of good work. Tell me more about that peer support program. Uh, so I run a program where we take newly diagnosed individuals or people who are struggling at that point in their diagnosis where they're struggling. So it could be five years in and they've had some relapses or something's going on that's making dealing with their MS really hard. And I have about 100 volunteers who all have various forms of MS. So they could have a progressive form. They could have a relapse remitting form. They could be anywhere between the ages of, I think my youngest volunteer is 21. And my oldest volunteer is about 65. Mm. Um, and so they've all had MS for varied amounts of times. And so basically we have the people who are looking for support get matched up with one of our volunteers. Um, and it is a phone or internet-based program. So they talk on the phone or they email back and forth for six months to kind of get them over the hump or through the diagnosis or with whatever is going on. And we just have a lot of people who say, I... It helped so much. I get a lot of calls every day from people who are newly diagnosed and they're struggling and they're worried that it's kind of over, this is the end. And I tell them, hey, I've had MS for 13 years and today I did two workouts, including boxing. So it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. It's like There are ways that you can manage it. We just match them with people who talk to them about their experiences and how they handle it. And we also refer them to our, we have a program called the MS Navigators Program, and they help people with uh, if they have to apply for disability or if they have questions about medications or just different provincial resources and knowing where the in-support uh, person support groups are. So the Navigator Program and the Peer Support Program are just the two fantastic programs that we work with. Sure. It sounds familiar to our Talk to a Warrior program. That the nonprofit yep. that we started, HSCT Warriors, strives to be or w would love to be, right, connecting volunteers with individuals just to talk through any apprehension or questions they might have about HSCT. And, you know, it would be great oh, yeah. to expand that partnership so that we have volunteers in Canada who can speak to the nuances of the Canadian protocol because it is so different from what's being offered in Sheffield, England. and. Russia and Mexico and the United States and Australia and a clinical trial and Australia and so it's that whole like bridging the gaps by connecting and uniting in our HSCT family to help share resources. Yeah, because so. I know like I only knew I've only talked to one person in Canada who's done it before I decided yeah. to do it. Sure. Um, and I also talked to a girl named Jess in Australia who she did it. She started her six months before I started mine. So I think her birthday, her stem cell birthday is coming up in the next couple of weeks. So I've got to touch base with her. But awesome. it was very interesting. We were comparing protocols and yeah, kind of what they did versus what we did. And uh, it's just... I've had so many people message me on Instagram, um, even Canadians going, where'd you go? <laughs> it was like, yeah. Calgary. And I go, well, how did right. you follow, like, how did you get into Calgary? Like, what did, and I said, I honestly, like, all I can tell people is I don't know how I got it. My neurologist recommended it. 
I think yeah. it just so happens that I was living in Calgary. I got the young progressive neurologist at the hospital, and it kind of all just spiraled. My my family says I was meant always meant to live in Calgary, and this just proved it to them. Somehow you end up in the right place, right, and where you exactly where you need to be. Yeah. And all of your habits and wellness practices are certainly helping you to be where you oh, yeah. want to be with recovery, right? Oh, yeah. So I, like, my favorite parts of my weeks are my workouts. I'm doing one tonight. I'm bringing a friend to our HIT class for the first time at a place called, I work called Crush Camp. Uh, and they are very intense workouts. I burn about five, 600 calories every time. And wow. it's a lot of running and it's weightlifting and it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's tough workout and so I'm I normally work out in the morning but this uh today she asked if she could do one with me because I can bring in a buddy pass and she can try it out see if she likes it and so tonight we're actually working out at night uh, but I normally do I'm up to seven to eight workouts a week so that's four hit classes three runs and then one yoga class normally and often I add in a boxing class with my boyfriend just because he likes to box now too. I got him hooked, but awesome. he always teases me. He's like, you're, you're healthier and you're fitter than the people who don't have Emma's. Yes. <laughs> that's the goal. That's been your, yeah. That's been your lifestyle for so long. It's just part of who you are. Yeah. And I will say it is really nice having my hair grow back now because having to face 40, negative 45 bald would have been, I have very new appreciation for people who are bald. That's yeah, one of the things that I have learned during this. Yeah. Even in the summer, that was my biggest struggle post-transplant was being bald. And then we had a heat wave. Um, and there's no insulation when you have no hair. Mm-hmm. So, like, your head would sweat and, like, I'd feel faint. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get over the bald. The bald is, has been one of the harder things for me, for sure. What about other memorable experiences with transplant? Memorable experiences? Yeah. Um, so the most memorable night during transplant was with, like, all the chemo was done, but I was in the hospital until my numbers got back out. And at 2 in the morning, the nurse came in with the morphine because I was getting migraines, and so she tried to put the morphine in my pick line, and the pick line blew. Oh, oh my goodness. So... Um, I'm deathly afraid of IVs. I've had some really bad experiences with IVs. Um, and so they ended up having to call my parents into the hospital at 2 in the morning to calm me down so they could get the IV in to give me the rest of the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my third line. So the port, the CV line had to pull out because of the allergic reaction. The first pick line had to be taken out because of the allergic reaction. Second pick line blew with like three days to go. And so then I said, I'm done. Just give me an IV. Like chemo's done. So that was that was really memorable. Um, oh, my goodness. Walking, walking around the hospital with my mom. My mom spent a lot of time in the hospital with me um, because my dad is an Ironman. Uh, he decided while he was up here in Calgary for the summer that he was going to do the Calgary Half Ironman. Nice. He's like, I'm going to be there all summer anyway. So he would normally train in the morning, and my mom would come into the hospital. And then they would go home, and they'd walk my dog, and then they'd come. They'd both come back together. Um, and so the other thing that I would say was really memorable is my dog actually spent – basically March, April, May, and June with my family, um, just because during stem cell, 
she's not allowed to sleep with me. There's a bunch of rules with what you can do with your dog. And so she wasn't kennel trained and she was terrible to try and kennel train. And so my parents yeah. were like, oh, we'll take her. You're in an apartment so people will complain. But if we take her, they have a house and land and nobody's going to complain. So they had my dog for four months. Um, and then when I, she came back, I was bald and sick and Aww. she's just unconditional love. She was unconditional love the whole way. And then for me, what I remember the most is I struggled a lot. I, and I joke and say bald was the hardest part for me. Um, but in a way, it really was the hardest part for me because I've never visually looked sick. I had a cane for a little bit, but people can explain that away. Um, I've never visually looked sick. All my sick has always been on the inside. And so for the first time in my life, I looked I looked really ill um, sure. and I'd go out in public and people would kind of stare at me um, oh my gosh. And, and that made me really upset. I was like, I'm so tired. And even now I struggle with the short hair because I'm like, I have Corey Matthew from Boy Meets World haircut right now because I have really curly hair and it's super short and I'm like, I just miss my long curls. So, but it was for the first time what I just remember was I visually look sick and having people stare at me and just, um, and for me, like, I don't know about other people, but for me, I'd just rather come up and ask, like, you can totally come yes. up and ask me what's wrong, right. ask exactly. me what's wrong, like, Tell me have more. a conversation, I'll explain and it I to you. I think I had two people, I had two people in the entire June, July, August, September that I was bald come up to me. So in four months, I had two people. Um, and one just asked me, yeah, and one just asked me, she goes, because I was wearing a mask for the one, and she goes, are you wearing the mask because you're contagious to us or we're contagious to you? And I said, I'm wearing the mask because you guys are contagious to me. Yeah. And she said, oh, okay, and she was asking questions. And then I had another guy who, and I still remember this, my dad, it was when my dad was doing the half Ironman, it was in August, that I had gone to kind of cheer and, like, ring the bell as he came in. Um, and I have a ball cap that has hair on it, so you can't exactly tell that I'm bald uh, but it was really hot so I had taken the hat off and I was just walking around holding my ball cap and this man was staring at me and at this point I was getting just annoyed with people so my goal was to make them feel as uncomfortable as they were making me feel and sure. so I locked eye contact with him and I put the hat on and then made a point of turning around and he actually approached me afterwards and he apologized and he said I'm really sorry I didn't mean to make you feel uncomfortable he goes I had cancer 10 years ago and you just reminded me of me. He goes, it does grow back. And so he's in the four months, I had two people who came up and asked me questions and were really fantastic about it all. And so those are the moments that I remember, but I just remember everybody staring and I'm like, okay guys, if you're going to stare, I'm going to stare back at you and make you feel as uncomfortable as you're making me feel. Good. Because yeah, it's about expressing compassion and finding the connection of the human being and recognizing yeah. somebody's going through something. You don't even have to know all the details, but just know that they're deserving and worthy of love and compassion. Yeah. And I will say a highlight and the other highlight for me was um, my boyfriend was fantastic and my boyfriend deserves an award just for how fantastic he was. Because when I started stem cell, we've literally been together for like four months. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, and I, 
Yeah, and I told him, I'm like, I would not judge you if you if you bailed. Like, right. I get it. I, I don't judge you if you bailed. And he didn't bail. He actually gave me half of my fertility needles. Like, he gave me the needles. He was right there. Um, he got me Lucky Charms for the hospital. Um, he said he was giving me all of his luck. And even post-charms that now, like, we celebrate our one-year anniversary in, like, two weeks. And I asked, I've asked him, I'm like, what? I'm like, why did you why did you stay? And he goes, well, he goes, yeah, it was really hard. And he's one of those people he's never never been sick a day in his life and his parents have never been sick and his grandparents live so far away that even if they are sick right now he's never he's never been exposed to the hospital really so it was all very new for him um and we're celebrating our one-year anniversary i actually have an mri the day of our one-year anniversary i had my first mri post transplant this year so i was like what do you want to do for our anniversary he's like i want a good mri I don't care about anything else. He's like, we're having a good MRI. And so, but he's been fantastic. And he was just like, if I didn't stick it out through stem cell, he's like, I don't get post chemo deaths. He's like, chemo sucks. Chemo is scary. He was really scared to come and visit me in the hospital. He would disinfect my hospital room. That's how he handled it. And like, but he gave me my first video games ever, like handheld video games to get me through. And he was, he was really sweet. And he just kind of gave me faith in humanity because <laughs> I said there are good well, people yeah, out there. Absolutely, he definitely sounds like a gem. Oh, he's a gem. He gets cranky in the cold sometimes, but for the most part, he's a gem. Who doesn't get cranky in the cold? <laughs> oh yeah, it's. I mean, like it's negative forty-five. It's like you have every right to be cranky right now. But even then, like he comes up with fun stuff for us. He was coming up with fun stuff for us to do, and no pressure and. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was definitely so a rock important. for me during chemo. And my parents were um, my other rock. Yeah, it's so important to surround yourself with people who can support and love you during this and significant then, experience. Yeah, and then my little baby, my dog is actually named Nutella. So my Nutella baby was <laughs> the other, the fourth rock. And how about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSVP? Um, well, I, it's a weird one. So before, um, stem cell, I didn't really feel pain. Like I don't, uh, my, I've had my physiotherapist is like working on pressure points. He's like, on a scale of one to 10, how much does this hurt? And I'm like, two, like, goes, how about now? And I was like, I feel like you want me to say higher numbers Four. he's like, I don't react to pain like a normal person would. Um, but I've learned that part of that is I had like dulled senses from the MS. So I'm actually more aware of everything now. So for the first time after my workouts, I get what we call the DOMS, the delayed onset muscle soreness, where the next day I'm like, man, I can feel the workout I did yesterday, or I can feel my feet again. And so I think the not feeling pain before would have been the superpower. But for me, it's the reverse. It's like, man, I can feel everything again. This is amazing. It also has a drawback because now when my boyfriend has a tickle war with me, I can't win because he goes straight for the feet. <laughs> but I like that's the one thing. And I've learned I learned how mentally strong I am. Yeah, it took a lot of mental strength to get through the stem cell. Absolutely. Warrior strong. Being able to feel my feet is now my superpower. That's awesome, though. You've shared so many great strategies just from nutrition and wellness and taking oh, yeah. care of your physical health. Tip number one, don't eat the hospital food. Make people bring you food. Oh, right. Yeah. Make people bring you food. I don't know what your hospital menu was like, but when I took a look at mine, there were only five things I could eat on the, on the menu. It was like, I didn't need anything. And so, like, they would bring it in, and I'm like, that makes me want to throw up. Take it away. 
out, yeah. get it out. My parents, my mom was literally like, hey, she would message me in the morning and be like, what do you want for breakfast? Because uh, as well, like when you're on the stem cell, like everything that you liked before your taste buds change and like oh, it, it was day to day and my taste bud would change. And so it actually made me kind of, I stopped eating meat because just the chicken made me want to throw up so bad. Mm. Um, and so every day my mom would call, t- call me and be like, what do you want for breakfast? And I'd tell her what I want for breakfast. And then when she'd go home to walk the dog, she'd be like, okay, what are you feeling like for lunch? And they'd bring me back one of my like smoothies. The only thing that I ate at the hospital was they would make you milkshakes. And I'd be like, can I have a milkshake, please? <laughs> um, but and they would put like they were like high protein milkshakes but other than that i'm like i don't want the hospital food like the guy eventually who would bring you your plates he'd like look at me he's like do you want this i'm like no don't bring it in the room and my mom and dad would go and get me like a sub or my mom would make me like a homemade meal and then bring it in and that's what i eat. don't eat the hospital food <laughs> yeah no joke what other advice do you have for people um i brought things to my hospital that made it feel like home that's what I needed. So I brought pillows from home. Um, we got like a special fuzzy blanket for me. I also, there's this company that I love. It's called Wrap Me Cool, uh, Wrap Me Cool Wraps, and they do cooling products. And so it's this wrap that you literally dunk in water and it stays cold. And it's, they've got like this big one that can, it's um, their wide scarf. And I can, I was literally able to dunk it and then wrap my entire upper body in it because I was having problems with the heat. And so their scars and their wraps kind of got me through the heat wave that I was going through because I was already intolerant to the heat with MS. And then the chemo just kind of jumped everything into high gear. Gosh, yeah. And so Wrap Me Cool definitely helped making my hospital room myself, my own, um, bringing things that I could do to entertain myself. So I, I brought my knitting. My boyfriend brought me like the video game that we were playing. And then um, there was a TV. So I watched a lot of Bar Rescue. And I encourage people for me, I really um, liked taking a photo every day just to track it. So now when I'm sitting at home and I'm sad because my hair is short and I feel like it's not growing, well, I look at my hair, the picture that I took like even two weeks ago, and I'm like, wow, like if you put those two pictures side by side, I can see the progress that I've made. And so having that kind of like that photo journal for me was even if I don't feel like I'm making progress, I actually am. And it was that visual that I needed. Sure. Thanks for documenting and sharing so much of your journey on Instagram. All the right bites is your handle, right? Yeah, all the right bites because every bite of food counts. And it's all about the nutrition. So if you just take little bites. I love that. Yeah, so it's all the right bites. And, yeah, I was just like I wanted to be really transparent with people. And so there were days that I was like, I've got this. I'm going to go run 6K. And then there were days where I'm like, I'm going to curl up and cry. But we'll document both. Yeah, it's part of the roller coaster. Yeah. Hands down, hardest thing I've ever done. Well, and that's, yeah, coming from a family with Iron Man and the yeah. the books. I mean, that's, that's tough, yeah. right? My sister's working at becoming a professional triathlete right now. Wow. Like, they're nuts. They haven't been through HSBT. No, I'm still the strongest one. I will stand by there that statement. Yeah, no joke. No joke. So why was it important for you to participate in the podcast? Um, I just want people to, one, be aware. A lot of people aren't aware of it being offered in Canada. Yeah. Um, 
Now that's people should be warned. There is criteria. I don't know all of the criteria, but I know you've had to. You can't just jump into stem cell. You've had to have failed off a couple medications. There is an age limit. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I just know that I met the criteria. So there is criteria, but it is available in Canada, and you can talk to your doctors about it. But it's also I just want people to know like it worked so well for me. I for the first time I had a neuro exam last December like in December to kind of see where we are. And my doctor was like, yeah, you can already see the improvements. Wow. It's not just, it's not just stopped it. Like I can feel my feet again. So I'm gaining uh, everything back, which has been amazing. And I want people to see kind of the good and the bad. You can see the good post-transplant, but to know what they're kind of getting into, um, but also knowing that it's not as scary as when I was getting ready for stem cell, I did the deep dive into the internet and it looked terrifying. I was crying and freaking out and like psyching myself out. My mom was like, stop looking at these things. Just stop it. Like, don't do that to yourself. And we'll, I will admit it's one of the hardest things I've ever done for sure. Um, it definitely wasn't as bad as I was expecting just because I had yeah. done such an internet deep dive and people had just scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to me when I was documenting everything, I wanted to show people the highs and the lows mm -hmm. and not just the lows and not just the highs. I wanted it to be really authentic. This was yeah. my experience. And so I did share photos of me, stories of me in the hospital, um, crying and getting the stem cells and puffy jazz. Um, but I also shared the stories of like me walking around the hospital and big smiles on my face and embracing bald. And so I wanted to share both sides because I feel like you either, you, always, you only ever get one side of the story. And so this is my side of the story, but it is a true representation of what my experience with it was. And thank you so much for sharing it here because it helps to add voice to those pictures and the words, right? It helps to yeah. expand the context. So that people can hear that genuine experience. Yeah, and it, it was it was a fan, it was like all things considering it was life changing, yeah. and my boyfriend had said he's just like it's the smartest thing you could have done. He said as hard as it was and as sucky as it was, he's just like you're a new person. He's like this is new Jess Jess 2.0. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So oh. what are you grateful for? about HSCP that maybe has gone unspoken? Um, I'm just grateful for not having to, I don't worry anymore. Yay. I used to, I used to worry um, kind of when I, whenever I had an MRI coming up or I'd have a doctor's appointment, I was always worried with what they were going to say to me. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, like I'm, I have my MRI in three weeks for my one year anniversary with my boyfriend, we got the MRI. but. My, uh, when I spoke to my doctor before the MRI, he actually looked at me and he said, he's like, based on your physical exam and how things are looking, he's like, I am confident that your MRI is going to come back clean. Yeah. He's just like, that's how he feels. He's just like, I would be very shocked if it didn't come back clean. And so for the first time, I feel like I'm like, I'm just going to go do this MRI and I'm not going to worry about the results. And I don't worry when I go to bed that I'm going to wake up because everything for me, it would always, I went to bed fine and I'd wake up the next morning and my left eye had stopped moving or I was numb yeah. from, I've got lesions on my spine. So I was numb from like T8 down um, or tingly, like everything, I would go to bed and then I would suddenly wake up the next morning and everything had changed or it gotten worse. And so Overnight. I, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I just, I go to bed. 
And so that's what I am super grateful for. It's just like, I just go to sleep. I sleep very well now. <laughs> I sleep very, very well. And yeah, I just go to bed and then I'm grateful. Like I said, I can feel my feet, which makes boxing so much easier. Yeah. It makes running easier. It just makes life easier. I can, I have full sensation and I'm able to do yoga classes now and I'm able to like there's things that I'm able to I'm able to get through a full workout without needing my cooling vest right now Mm -hmm. for the first time in years and so there's just little improvements and I'm only six months in they'll say I'll keep improving for another year or so yeah absolutely I believe we continue to improve as much as we intend to improve right yeah people that I'm talking to that are four years post five years post they're still noticing things that are better than yeah. they were before, right? Because neuroplasticity is a real thing. And our body oh. continues to heal itself so long as we support and promote that healing by eating right and moving our bodies and staying hydrated and making good choices that are promoting wellness and healthy behaviors yeah. and healthy outcomes. And just being kind to yourself. <sighs> I had to learn. That's the one thing I had to learn was to kind of take concessions and kind of realize I've always been a what is my time how fast was I going for that kilometer how much did I lift like how intense can I make this workout and so when I finished stem cell my dad's like yeah you can't do that (laughs) you you can't you're gonna have to and even now like my running time is it back to what it was before no it's not it's definitely not back to when I did my last half marathon, but it will get back there and I'm confident it will be. So I, but I've just learned to be kind of take it a little bit easier on myself and be kinder and not. So this is the time that I need. This is my goal. Like I didn't hit the goal. What am I going to do? So just learn to kind of slower pace and just accept this is what I can do today. Yeah. This is next week. The time will be better. And the week after that, the time will be better. And so just being a little bit more less harsh and a bit kinder to myself. That's beautiful. You deserve it. You deserve so, it. Thank you. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you. All of this with us and expanding on your experience in Canada. It's amazing to hear more about what Canadian hopefuls can expect. Yeah. I'm very, and I feel very lucky that I was able to do it in Canada and I didn't have yeah. to pay out of pocket for it. It's a huge because, burden that so many people are fighting for insurance, oh, yeah. which postpones the treatment, right? Because they can't come up with the money out of pocket. And so they're literally fighting for their life. They're fighting for a chance to save their life, enduring all of this stress and appeals and arguments and negativity that shouldn't be part of the equation. Oh, I agree. It should not, none of that should be what you have to deal with and unfortunately it is and so I'm very lucky that I was able to do it in Canada people kind of weren't like people weren't aware that you could do it here but you can Um, they just do have criteria so you have to kind of jump through some criteria hoop and so but it was it was not paid out of pocket I mean I still have like 40 grand 30 grand in student loans so I'm still trying to pay off my student loans while affording to live life with MS because MS automatically makes everything more expensive oh my gosh that's the truth yeah it's like everything was better because I could do it in Canada. I would don't think if I had to travel, I don't think I would have done it. For anyone in Canada listening, <laughs> or anyone, I mean, you might have to move to, to you might have to move to like what we call the tundra right now because it's freezing here. But it is available in Calgary. 
And Ottawa. So, so, and Ottawa, yeah. So it's Calgary and Ottawa because Ottawa is out where Dr. Friedman is. It's in Ottawa. Dr. Atkin is in, in Ottawa. And then here it's Dr. Burton, Dr. Storg, and Dr. Jamani. Thanks so much for sharing those resources. Sure, no problem. I'm sure you're inspiring so many that you work with already yeah. with the MS Society in Canada. Yeah, and people are always welcome to ask me questions. Yeah. Like people, I, people message me on my Instagram all the time asking me questions. And you're always, I, I tell people, I'm like, I don't give advice. So I don't answer. If you say, do you think I should do this or do this? I, I don't give advice. That's not my role. But if you want to ask That's about so how I got it, I'm not a doctor, but I will tell you about my experience or how I, yes. how I, how I helped handled things. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, we'd love to recruit you for our Talk to a Warrior program. You can be a volunteer on the other end of the line for anyone calling with questions about Canada. I'm definitely here to help. Volunteers. Oh, my gosh. You have been so helpful in all of this conversation and sharing your experience with HFET in Canada. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.com where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources of the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzalzer for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It's been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake, and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. John Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.